you've been with us for uh, in the past couple of weeks, uh, you'd know that we've been journeying and we've been talking about mental health. And uh, today marks the end of that series. And so if you've missed any of the past uh, three weeks, I'd really encourage you just to go on the website and, and look into that. Uh, we, we dug deep into understanding ourselves and, and looking at how God relates to us in that place of struggle. Uh, we've also had messages that really help us to uh, move on or recover uh, from past traumas. And, and last week, uh, Muthel shared really wonderfully and, and, and powerfully on how we can handle our emotions. So there's a lot for you to just uh, benefit from uh, if you haven't been with us. Now, today, I thought it would be great to end by looking ahead, as it were, not looking ahead as in what's coming up, but looking ahead in our own lives and being anchored and cemented in two truths that we find in Scripture. And these are that you are not alone. You are not alone. And secondly, there's hope. And these are not original to me, as I mentioned, uh, they're in Scripture, but they were highlighted to me when I was reading an article by a counselor called David Paulison, and he was talking about counseling people recovering from childhood abuse. And he said, hey, there are two truths that you, I, I know to be secure. Whatever the situation you're coming through, or wherever you are, you're not alone, and there is hope. And so if you have your Bible, please could you turn with me to Deuteronomy. We'll be reading from Deuteronomy uh, chapter 8. Uh, it's the uh, fifth book in the Bible, if, as long as you don't have the Gideon's one, which just starts in Psalms. Uh, so uh, you just need to follow on the screen for that. But uh, as we do that, let me pray. Father, we, we thank you for the morning we've had together so far, um, just being able to sing of your blessing that we haven't earned, uh, a blessing that comes to us because there's another who paid the price on our behalf. Thank you that we had the opportunity to remind ourselves of how great a price that was, that his body was broken, his blood was shed, his life was given. But Lord, we know that he didn't remain in the grave because he rose again on the third day. And because of that, we have hope. Thank you for the story that we heard from Esther of the journey that she went through and how you gave her promises, how you brought her through, how she's able now to look back and see your hand of guidance. And so, Lord, as we wrap up the series, I thank you that you're not wrapping up what you're doing in each individual's life. And I pray this morning that would have a sense of your tenderness, would have a sense of your face shining on us, giving us peace, would have a sense of turning a corner. Equip us as a church that would be a place where people find healing, restoration, and purpose. Would you pour out your spirit upon us this morning? And let your word be like the rain that comes and gives life wherever it goes. Amen. Amen. Now, we're going to be in Deuteronomy, but uh, just to give a bit of background about uh, where we are in the story, Deuteronomy 
is that Moses lost address or lost series of addresses to the children of Israel. If you know the story of the Bible, you know they'd been in Egypt um, and they'd come out of the land of Egypt with miracles, signs and wonders and the eating of the Passover and God had made this agreement with him at Mount Sinai. And then after that, they, they, they had this journey which was meant to take 11 days from Mount Sinai to uh, just below uh, the land of Canaan, and instead, they ended up taking 40 years. And so if you're kind of feeling like, hey, my life is going round in circles, trust me, you're not alone. And um, it's, it felt like, will we ever get to the land of Canaan? And um, just uh, in the past election cycle, I know one particular politician was saying, hey, we're going to the land of Canaan. We're crossing the River Jordan. But um, unfortunately, it didn't happen for them as they thought. So depending on your political affiliation, you might uh, relate to this idea of, hey, it seems like we're still stuck in the desert. We, we can see Canaan, but man, we're just not getting there. And so as, as Deuteronomy begins, Moses relates their collective history. And he, he tells about what's happened between that time of, of leaving Sinai and, and getting to where they are. And Moses and, and Scripture is not particularly interested in just giving us a history, but is giving us a redemptive history. And what that means is that it's not just the story of events and people, but it's the story of God moving and shaping the events and the lives of people. And so Moses interprets their history uh, through this lens of, hey, God has been faithful. You see, he took us out of Egypt. He, he was with us. He's, he's been with us in the desert. He's, he's fought for us when we faced our enemies, enemies that were greater than us. And this is the lens with which I want us this morning, as we come into the story, to be one way we reflect on God's faithfulness, God's power, and God's presence with us. So I'm going to be reading from verse 2 to 6, and then we'll read a bit further at the end of the message. And this is what Moses said. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord, that's Yahweh, your God, has led you this 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what is in your heart, whether you will keep his commands or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did the fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you, and your foot did not swell these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. You are not alone. Now, I want to make this point that you are not alone in two ways. Firstly, that you're not alone in experiencing times of great difficulty or, or times of pain or times of suffering. You're not alone in, in feeling like, man, in, in this particular area of my life, it, it just feels like there's barrenness. It, it feels like th th there's a lack of life. 
You're not alone in, in feeling like you, you're, you're in the wilderness. You're, you're isolated. You're not getting to where you want to get. It seems that God's promises are not being worked out in your life. You are not alone. Now, if we get into what Moses says, he doesn't kind of try and paper over or, or cover what they experienced in, in verse 3. He says that the Israelites experienced suffering or want at the most basic and fundamental level. If you, I don't know if you did Maslow's hierarchy of needs. This is just kind of baseline. We're not talking about self-actualization. They're traveling in a hot desert. There's, there's no food. There's, there's no water. And this was traumatic for them. This wasn't a walk in the park. And Time after time, they expressed their frustration with their situation. And we see one of those times in Numbers 11. And this is what it says, verse 1. And the people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. They're not taking it gracefully. Jump to verse 4, and it says, Now, now the rebel, that is, there a, a number of other people who had come out of Egypt with them, that was among them, had a strong craving. And the people of Israel also wept again. This kind of sounds like a depressing situation. And they said, all that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt. That, no, that cost nothing. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. And it's almost like these guys can almost smell this food like we remember. But now our strength is dried up and there is nothing at all to eat but this manna. And, you know, the word manna is uh, translated, what is it? So it's like, we, we have nothing at all to eat but this, what is it to look at? And to say that at this moment they just hated manna is an understatement. And I know when I first came into Kenya about uh, three just less than three years ago, fuel was going for 90 bob. And you can sit there and think, man, I, I remember when I was buying fuel for 90 bob. And now it's 180 bob. And I don't know what else you might think in your life. Like this, this situation, if only it could be changed. The Israelites were, were fantasizing about a different life and their fantasy was fish, garlic, leeks. It's like, I, I, I remember how it smelled in, in the kitchen. Man, just, and all now we, we have is, is this, what is it? They, it says that they had cravings, like this deep desire. It's like, ah. Oh. I wish I had some dark chocolate. And they couldn't satisfy it. They were in a situation they, they didn't want to be in, in a place they didn't want to be in. And you know what? If, if they had a choice, they would vote to go back to Egypt. And they tried it in, in Numbers 14. They said, hey, let's look for a new leader who will lead us back to Egypt. But God didn't give them that choice. And if you're feeling like you're in a situation where 
They think, hey, I, I, I didn't choose to be here. I, I didn't choose to be born in this family. I, I didn't choose to be in this nation. I, I didn't choose to be. Listen, you are not alone. I didn't choose to, to have somebody abuse me. I, I didn't choose to have this calamity happen in my family. I didn't choose to have this illness. I, I, I didn't choose it. You are not alone. And you might be wondering, hey, how, how can... Okay, I'm, I'm not alone, but how does it help me? It doesn't do anything to change my situation. Well, when, when Paul looked back at the story of Israel, and, and you can find this in 1 Corinthians 10, he says that their story was written for our benefit in, in verse 11. For us upon whom the end of the ages come. And then he says this, that there is no temptation that has overtaken you, than that which is common to man. And he's saying, hey, listen, you can take comfort in that you're not alone because there is nothing that you're going through in your life today, whether it's in your finances, whether it's in your relationship, whether it's in your marriage, whether it's in your parenting, whether it's in your workplace, whether it's in your physical health, whether it's in your mental health, there is nothing that you're going through today that is not common to the human experience. But not only that, you can be confident of this, that God is faithful and just, and he'll not allow you to get into a situation that will overwhelm you. Just as we look at the Israelites, we're looking in hindsight. They came through the desert. God is faithful and just. He will not give you a burden that is too heavy for you to carry. And not only that, he will also make a way out for you. You are not alone. And you see, this is especially true in the community of the church. Right here, among us, where people who have struggled and, and experienced even abuse, whether it's verbal or physical or sexual, where people who have, who have struggled to pay rent. I myself, when, when I was a student, there, there were times when the end of the month came, and I, I didn't know where my rent was coming from, when it's, it's time to pay your school fees, and I don't know where my school fees is coming from. You're not alone. We're people who, who have carried great, great grief, who, who have battled against illness, and even experienced death of loved ones. You're not alone. We're people who've experienced deep injustice, Hurtful words spoken to them. The pain of, of, of lost relationships, even broken marriages, broken dreams. And yet somehow, God has brought them through and is bringing them through. You're not alone. And when, when you realize that you're not alone, then you don't have to be isolated you don't have to feel like you have to hide yourself to have this double persona, something for the crowd, something for the public, and something that I experience in my, on my own, in, in my bedroom, when, when I cry the tears that no one else can see. You don't have to carry the, the shame or the guilt of not having your life together. Like Everybody else seems to have it all worked out. But hey, you're not alone. 
And one of the things that I personally struggle is that I, I, I get easily discouraged, or I think I get easily discouraged. Yet even in that, I'm not alone. A recent survey in the US from last, just the end of 21, 2021, found that 46%, that's almost one in two pastors in the US under the age of 45, wanted to leave pastoral work. In other words, they're discouraged. See, it's, it's, it's what's common to man. You're not alone in going through the wilderness. You're not alone in experiencing times of great suffering. But not only are we not alone in that we're facing what other people are facing or have faced before us, you're not alone during times of suffering. You see, when, when Moses tells the story of the Israelites, he's not telling a story of, of great suffering and saying, oh, guys, remember how hot the desert was? Remember how we didn't have any food? Remember how we were so thirsty? Remember how it was so dangerous? Instead, he looks at it from the way God has delivered them. He says, remember when we didn't have food, God provided. He provided for us something that was completely out of this world. No one else has ever experienced it. This is what God did for you. Man, I look at you and you look like you've been wearing that same garment for 40 years. And it doesn't even have a hole in it. Look at your feet. This heat and this walking, we should have been finished. But man, not even a single person came to the infirmary with swollen feet. We're not alone. And Moses tells the Israelites a number of things, a number of ways that God was at work. Firstly, he says in verse 2 that God has led you. And maybe you're, you're wondering, why would God lead them through such a terrible experience, which has become proverbial, like, I'm going through a wilderness experience. And sometimes we, we ask ourselves, hey, if, if God is for me, if God is with me, why would he allow this? But Moses says, hey, no, God led you. He, he doesn't try and soften it and say God allowed it or it was just a situation of circumstances, but God somehow came and redeemed the situation, how grateful we are that God came to. No, he says, God led you. And he says he did that for two reasons, that he might humble you. And when he's talking about humility here, he, he's not talking about how Chelsea is going to humble Arsenal uh, later today. No, no, no. He, he's talking about how God humbled them that they might not depend upon themselves, that they might not depend on any material thing, that they might not depend on anyone else other than God. And so when, when, Jesus, when Jesus went through his wilderness experience, when, when he was fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, the devil came to him, if you remember the story, and said, hey, I can see you are hungry. Why don't you just turn the stone into bread? And Jesus responded by answering from this very text to say, no, man does not live on bread alone. He's saying, Satan, I'm, I'm not relying on myself. I've completely humbled myself. Even though I'm in very nature, God, I'm, I'm sharing in the complete human experience of not depending and trusting on myself, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. See, God is ultimately the source 
of our sustenance. And, and without this humility, this humility of understanding that I depend completely on him, we'll fall into pride and ultimately the idolatry of trusting either in ourselves, money, power, or anything else but God. And then secondly, he says that God led them through the desert in verse 2 to test you, to know what is in your heart. Now, when he says God is wanting to test you, it's, it's not kind of like a, a chemistry experiment where you're told, hey, there's this material, let's put this reagent and see what's inside. No, no, no. God is not looking for information. But God is testing to bring historical reference. The test is, is not for God to know what is inside of them. It's for them to know what is inside of them and for history to be able to record it. It's because when, when we are in these situations, when, when we are tested, when, when we go through the wilderness and the desert, that's when faith is proven. You see, faith is not in what we just say. Faith is in what we do. We can know where our faith really lies when, when the relationship is struggling, when our finances are struggling, when our health is struggling. That's when what's inside of us really expresses itself. What do you really hope for? Moses said that also God fed you. And I'm not really going to go into the details. We kind of look at it. And what he's saying is, hey, in the midst of your pain, in the midst of what you feel your glass is half empty, don't miss what God is doing in that situation. No, no, I want garlic, I want leeks, I want fish, but don't miss the manna. Man, this, this desert is hot, but don't miss that your feet are not swelling. Man, I, I wish I had a whole wardrobe, but don't miss the miracle that even that one garment you have lasts 40 years. It says, God fed you. God is sustaining you, preserving you, protecting you, even in the midst of the wilderness and the desert. And I, I, I wrestled whether to bring this story because it's so intensely personal and it's someone else's story, but it's the story of, of Rick Warren and, and his wife, Kate Warren. And Rick wrote a book called The Purpose Driven Life, and he was the pastor, just recently retired, of a church called Saddleback Church in the U.S. And they were going through an interview, and I just want to read out the interview. The interviewer called Tapper, he asked them this question. He says, you talk about some pain that your family has had. What are you talking about? And then Kate Warren, his wife, answers, well, you know, I was molested as a child, and that created a lot of disruption and dysfunction in me and carried over into adulthood. She would later share in another book how she struggled with pornography. Our daughter, we call her daughter in love, had a brain tumor three and a half years ago, and she nearly died and was in the hospital for five weeks. Her son, her seven-week-old baby, had been born prematurely and nearly died. We have close family with some mental illness. And later on, they were talking about their son, who would then commit suicide the following year. For us, 
it has been challenging and it has been difficult. You know, this is now Rick Warren speaking. The bottom line on this is, is that if you have to have things perfect in order to be joyful, you're never going to be joyful. And then listen to what Kate Warren says. No, I really think that life is more like this parallel set of train tracks where joy and sorrow run next to each other inseparably. Some of the highest moments in our life are still tinged with that little piece of everything is not perfect. And even in the saddest, most painful moments in our lives, the, the sun is still shining. There's still beauty in this world and those train tracks, they just go side by side. And you look at their story and think, man, what they're saying is that even in the most difficult wilderness or desert experience, we have learned that God's grace is still evident in our lives. Verse 5. Then Moses said, the Lord your God disciplines you. So we've we just seen that God led them, God fed them, and now he says, the Lord your God disciplines you. Now, I, I don't know whether you came from a family where if your dad said, I'm going to discipline you, that wasn't the thing that you wanted to hear at that moment. And you might be thinking, this sounds so harsh. And it really lines up with this, the view of God you have that God is, is harsh, he's demanding, and he's just waiting for you to, to get out of line. And as soon as you're out of line, he, he's got this big stick of discipline. Like, man, how can you talk about 40 years in the desert as discipline? Or maybe more personally, you're like, yeah, I've been following you, Cephas. I've, I've been hearing what you've been saying, that I'm not alone. But man, I can't really think about the, the most difficult times in my life or the, the, the times of greatest loss, the times of greatest sadness. It's God's discipline. Yeah, maybe, maybe if he said, yeah, Satan was attacking you. Like, I, I, I can line up with that, 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 that this, this is the works of the devil, but... Not, not the discipline of the Lord. But Moses said, God, the Lord your God disciplines you. And now what we need to understand is that this word translated discipline in, in, in this context is, is not really talking about punishment or, or correction or, or being chastised. But it's talking about being trained, being taught, being discipled by God. Listen to what one commentator says. He says, The purpose of these experiences was educational. Often in the Old Testament, God is shown as sending suffering to humble and to discipline his servants so that they might learn lessons they would otherwise miss. For example, the, the testing of Abraham, Job, Joseph, Jeremiah. God's methods have not changed over the centuries. The family of God still learns lessons through suffering. And friends, this is not that something that God just says, oh, um, um, he's kind of sadistic and I, I just enjoy watching people going through difficulty and pain. Let me send something more just to see what, what's going to happen. No. This is something that God himself 
participated in, in the human condition through his son. Listen what it says in Hebrews 5 verse 8. That although Jesus was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And Jesus didn't kind of just suffer our suffering and and take part in humanity's situation. In fact, he was known as a man of sorrow. Like, yeah, well, 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 that Jesus of Nazareth, man, how would, how would you describe him? Nabal would be like, hey, man, that guy, he's a man of sorrow. He was acquainted with grief. He came to his own people who should have received him, accepted him, but they rejected him. He was completely innocent, perfect, and yet he died the most cruel death that Rome could think of, that was reserved for non-Roman citizens and, and slaves and insurrectionists. In fact, in his death, he was with two insurrectionists. His closest friends, one of them betrayed him, the other, the other 11 deserted him in his hour of need. And finally, when he was on the cross, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He just wasn't experiencing the rejection of man, but cried out because he experienced the suffering and rejection of his father looking on the sin that he was carrying. You see, Jesus experienced suffering to an extent we will never know. And he experienced suffering to keep us from experiencing suffering to that extent. He's gone where we will never go if we put our trust in him. And so this is not a God who is sadistic and says, I'll discipline you with the worst thing I can think of. This is a God who comes into our situation and experiences suffering on our behalf. And it's okay not to be alone, to know that my neighbor, you know, we're all experiencing the fuel price at the same price. You know, I can get a little comfort from knowing, yep, everybody's paying the same price as I do. But this is a different level where one comes on your behalf and carries your pain and your suffering for you. You are not alone. And Moses' address doesn't end there. And I just want to invite the band up as we finish. In fact, if we just go to the next verse, we ended in verse 6. This is what it says. See, the story just didn't end with them in the desert. He says, for the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land. A land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs flowing out in the valleys and hills. A land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates. A land of olive trees and honey. A land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing. A land whose stones are iron and out of his hills you can dig copper. And you shall eat and be full. And you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Why don't we just stand together as we just uh, prepare to close?
I've said this morning that I just wanted to share two truths, that you are not alone. And you're not alone because actually what we experience is the common experience of the human condition. But more than that, we're not alone because God is with us in whatever situation we're in. Not only is he with us, but he came and experienced that suffering on our behalf. There's certain suffering we'll never know because Jesus experienced in himself. But that's just not where the story ends. The story ends with pointing forward, saying, guys, you've experienced the desert, but I want you to know that, wow, there's paradise that is coming. Whatever has been your wilderness, whatever has been your desert, whatever has been your experience of pain and suffering, of loss, Scripture tells us that the glory that will be revealed in us can in no way be compared when Paul thought about everything he suffered, he said, hey, that was light and momentary. It can in no way be compared into what God has in store for me. And it's really appropriate that this morning we would look forward with hope. We would look forward knowing that God wants to bless us. Blessing is not our idea. Blessing is God's idea. We would look forward knowing that God wants to remove our pain. There is coming a time when the comfort of God will be so strong and present in your life, you will have no recollection of the pain that you have gone through. Think, hey man, I've, I've, I've experienced extreme pain. There's coming a day when there will be no more pain because the old order of things would have passed away. But that's just not a distant day, even in this life. God has good works for you, that He has prepared for you. God has fruitfulness that He has prepared for you. God wants to do something out of even the most difficult and lowest points in your life that will bring blessing not only to yourself, but to those around you. There is hope.